5. And just violence, and always to flee treason, also by no means ever to be cruel, but give mercy unto him that asked for mercy, upon pain of forfeiting the liberty of his court forevermore. Moreover, at all times, on pain of death, to give all succor unto a ladies and young damsels, and lastly, never to take part in any wrongful quarrel, for reward or payment, and to all this he swore them night by night, then he ordained that, every year at Pentecost, they should all come before him, wheresoever he might appoint a place, and give account of all their doings and adventures of the past twelve months, and so, with prayer and blessing, and high words of cheer, he instituted the most noble order of the round table, where to the best and bravest knights in all the world sought afterwards to find admission, then was the high feast made ready, and the king and queen sat side by side, before the whole assembly, and great and royal was the banquet and the pomp, and as they Saturday each man in his place, Merlin went round and said, Sit still a while, for ye shall see a strange and marvelous adventure. So as they Saturday there suddenly came running through the hall, a white heart, with a white hound next after him, and thirty couple of black running hounds, making full cry, and the heart made circuit of the table round, and passed the other tables, and suddenly the white hound flew upon him and bit him fiercely, and tore out a piece from his haunch whereat the heart sprang suddenly with a great leap, and overthrew a knight sitting at the table, who rose forthwith, and, taking up the hound, mounted, and rode fast away, but no sooner had he left, than there came in a lady, mounted on a white palfrey, who cried out to the king, Lord, suffer me not to have this injury, the hound is mine which that knight takes, and as she spake, a knight rode in all armed, on a great horse, and suddenly took up the lady and rode away with her by force, although she greatly cried and moaned. Then the king desired Sir Gawain, Sir Ator, and King Pelinor to mount and follow this adventure to the uppermost, and told Sir Gawain to bring back the heart, Sir Ator the hound and knight, and King Pelinor the knight and the lady. So Sir Gawain rode forth at a swift pace, and with him the Hiris, his brother, for a squire, and as they went, they saw two knights fighting on horseback and when they reached them they divided them and asked the reason of their quarrel. We fight for a foolish matter, one replied, for we be brethren, but there came by a white heart this way, chased by many hounds, and thinking it was an adventure for the high feast of King Arthur, I would have followed it to have gained worship, whereat my younger brother here declared he was the better knight and would go after it instead, and so we fight to prove which of us be the better knight. This is a foolish thing, said Sir Gawain. Fight with all strangers, if you will, but not brother with brother. Take my advice, set on against me, and if ye yield to me, as I shall do my best to make ye, ye shall go to King Arthur and yield ye to his grace. Sir Knight, replied the brothers, we are weary, and will do thy wish without encountering thee, but by whom shall we tell the king that we were sent? By the knight that followed the quest of the white heart, said Sir Gawain, and now tell me your names and let us part, Sorleys and Brian of the forest, they replied, and so they went their way to the king's court, then Sir Gawain, still following his quest by the distant baying of the hounds, came to a great river, and saw the hart swimming over and near to the further bank, and as he was about to plunge in and swim after, he saw a knight upon the other side, who cried, come not over here, Sir Knight, after that hart, save thou wilt joust with me, I will not fail for that, said Sir Gawain, and swam his horse across the stream, 
and on they got their spears, and ran against each other fiercely, and Sir Gawain smote the stranger off his horse, and turning, bade him yield, nay, replied he, not so, for though ye have the better of me on horseback, I pray thee, valiant knight, alight, and let us match together with our swords on foot, what is thy name, quoth Gawain, Thalardin of the Isles, replied the stranger, then they fell on each other, but soon Sir Gawain struck him through the helm, so deeply and so hard, that all his brains were scattered, and Sir Allardin fell dead, ah, said Gaheris, that was a mighty stroke for a young knight, then did they turn again to follow the white heart, and let slip three couple of greyhounds after him, and at the last they chased him to a castle, and there they overtook and slew him, in the chief courtyard, at that there rushed a knight forth from a chamber, with a drawn sword in his hand, and slew two of the hounds before their eyes, and chased the others from the castle, crying, Oh, my white heart, alas, that thou art dead, for thee my sovereign lady gave to me, and evil have I kept thee, but if I live, thy death shall be dear bought, and on he went within and armed, and came out fiercely, and met Sir Gawain face to face, why have ye slain my hounds, said Sir Gawain, they did but after their nature, and ye had better have taken vengeance on me than on the poor dumb beasts, I will avenge me on thee, also, said the other, ere thou depart this place, then did they fight with each other savagely and madly, till the blood ran down to their feet, but at last Sir Gawain had the better, and fell the knight of the castle to the ground, then he cried out for mercy, and yielded to Sir Gawain, and besought him as he was a knight and gentleman to save his life, thou shalt die, said Sir Gawain, for slaying my hounds, I will make thee all amends within my power, replied the knight, but Sir Gawain would have no mercy, and enlaced his helm to strike his head off, and so blind was he with rage, that he saw not where a lady ran out from her chamber and fell down upon his enemy, and making a fierce blow at him, he smote off by mischance the lady's head, alas, cried Gaheris, foully and shamefully have ye done the shame shall never leave ye, why give ye not your mercy unto them that ask it, a knight without mercy is without worship also, then Sir Gawain was sore amazed at that fair lady's death, and knew not what to do, and said to the fallen knight, Arise, for I will give thee mercy. Nay, nay, said he, I care not for thy mercy now, for thou hast slain my lady and my love that of all earthly things I love the best. I repent me sorely of it, said Sir Gawain, for I meant to have struck thee, but now shalt thou go to King Arthur and tell him this adventure and how thou hast been overcome by the knight that followed the quest of the white heart, I care not whether I live or die, or where I go, replied the knight, so Sir Gawain sent him to the court to Camelot, making him bear one dead greyhound before and one behind him on his horse, tell me thy name before we part, said he, my name is Afmore of the Marsh, he answered, then went Sir Gawain into the castle, and prepared to sleep there and began to unarm, but Gaheris upbraided him, saying, Will ye disarm in this strange country? Bethink ye, ye must needs have many enemies about. No sooner had he spoken than there came out suddenly four knights, well armed, and assailed them hard, saying to Sir Gawain, Thou new-made knight, how hast thou shamed thy knighthood? A knight without mercy is dishonored, slayer of fair ladies, shame to thee evermore. Doubt not thou shalt thyself have need of mercy ere we leave thee. Then were the brothers in great jeopardy, and feared for their lives, 
for they were but two to four, and weary with traveling, and one of the four knights shot Sir Gawain with a bolt, and hit him through the arm, so that he could fight no more, but when there was nothing left for them but death, there came four ladies forth and prayed the four knights mercy for the strangers, so they gave Sir Gawain and Gaheris their lives, and made them yield themselves prisoners, on the morrow, came one of the ladies to Sir Gawain, and talked with him, saying, Sir Knight, what cheer, not good, said he, it is your own default, Sir, said the lady, for ye have done a passing foul deed in slaying that fair damsel yesterday and ever shall it be great shame to you, but ye be not of King Arthur's kin, yea, truly am I, said he, my name is Gawain, son of King Lot of Orkney, whom King Pelinor slew and my mother, Billy sent, is half-sister to the king, when the lady heard that, she went and presently got leave for him to quit the castle, and they gave him the head of the white heart to take with him, because it was in his quest, but made him also carry the dead lady with him her head hung round his neck and her body lay before him on his horse's neck, so in that fashion he rode back to Camelot, and when the king and queen saw him, and heard tell of his adventures, they were heavily displeased, and, by the order of the queen, he was put upon his trial before a court of ladies who judged him to be or more, for all his life, the knight of ladies quarrels, and to fight always on their side, and never against any, except he fought for one lady and his adversary for another, also they charged him never to refuse mercy to him that asked it, and swore him to it on the holy gospels, thus ended the adventure of the white heart, meanwhile, Sir Ator had made him ready, and followed the knight who rode away with the hound, and as he went, there suddenly met him in the road a dwarf, who struck his horse so viciously upon the head with a great staff, that he leaped backwards a spear's length, wherefore so smitest thou my horse, foul dwarf, shouted Sir Ator, because thou shalt not pass this way, replied the dwarf, unless thou fight for it with yonder knights in those pavilions, pointing to two tents, where two great spears stood out, and two shields hung upon two trees hard by, I may not tarry, for I am on a quest I needs must follow, said Sir Ator, thou shalt not pass, replied the dwarf, and therewith blew his horn, then rode out quickly at Sir Ator one armed on horseback, but Sir Ator was quick as he, and riding at him bore him from his horse, and made him yield, directly after came another still more fiercely, but with a few great strokes and buffets Sir Ator unhorsed him also, and sent them both to Camelot to King Arthur, then came the dwarf and begged Sir Ator to take him in his service, for, said he, I will serve no more recreant knights, take then a horse, and come with me, said Tor, ride ye after the knight with the white hound, said the dwarf, I can soon bring you where he is, so they rode through the forest till they came to two more tents, and Sir Ator alighting, went into the first, and saw three damsels lie there, sleeping, then went he to the other, and found another lady also sleeping, and at her feet the white hound he sought for, which instantly began to bay and bark so loudly, that the lady woke, but Sir Ator had seized the hound and given it to the dwarf's charge, what will ye do, Sir Knight, cried out the lady, will ye take away my hound from me by force, yea, lady, said Sir Ator, for so I must, having the king's command, and I have followed it from King Arthur's court, at Camelot, to this place, well, said the lady, ye will not go far before ye be ill-handled, and will repent ye of the quest, I shall cheerfully abide whatsoever adventure cometh, by the grace of God, said Sir Ator, 
and so mounted his horse and began to ride back on his way. But night coming on, he turned aside to a hermitage that was in the forest, and there abode till the next day, making but sorrowful cheer of such poor food as the hermit had to give him, and hearing a mass devoutly before he left on the morrow, and in the early morning, as he rode forth with the dwarf towards Camelot, he heard a knight call loudly after him, Turn, turn, abide, sir knight, and yield me up the hound thou tookest from my lady, at which he turned, and saw a great and strong knight, armed full splendidly, riding down upon him fiercely through a glade of the forest, now Sir Ator was very ill provided, for he had but an old courser, which was as weak as himself, because of the hermit's scanty fare, he waited, nevertheless, for the strange knight to come, and at the first onset with their spears, each and horse the other, and then fell to with their swords like two mad lions, then did they smite through one another's shields and helmets till the fragments flew on all sides, and their blood ran out in streams, but yet they carved and rove through the thick armor of the hauberks, and gave each other great and ghastly wounds, but in the end, Surator, finding the strange knight faint, doubled his strokes until he beat him to the earth, then did he bid him yield to his mercy, that will I not, replied Abelis, while my life lasts at and my soul is in my body, unless thou give me first the hound, I cannot, said Surator, and will not, for it was my quest to bring again that hound and thee unto King Arthur, or otherwise to slay thee, with that there came a damsel riding on a palfrey, as fast as she could drive, and cried out to Sir Ator with a loud voice, I pray thee, for King Arthur's love, give me a gift, ask, said Sir Ator, and I will give thee, Grammarky, said the lady, I ask the head of this false knight Abelis, the most outrageous murderer that lives, I repent me of the gift I promised, said Sir Ator, let him make the amends for all his trespasses against thee, he cannot make amends, replied the damsel, for he hath slain my brother, a far better knight than he, and scorned to give him mercy, though I kneeled for half an hour before him in the mire, to beg it, and though it was but by a chance they thought, and for no former injury or quarrel, I require my gift of thee as a true knight, or else will I shame thee in King Arthur's court, for this Abelis is the falsest knight alive, and a murderer of many, when Abelis heard this, he trembled greatly, and was sore afraid, and yielded to Sir Ator, and prayed his mercy, I cannot now, Sir Knight, said he, lest I be false to my promise, you would not take my mercy when I offered it, and now it is too late, therewith he unlaced his helmet, and took it off, but Abelis, in dismal fear, struggled to his feet, and fled, until Sir Ator overtook him, and smote off his head entirely with one blow, now, Sir, said the damsel, it is near night, I pray ye come and lodge at my castle hard by, I will, with a good will, said he, for both his horse and he had fared but poorly since they left Camelot, so he went to the lady's castle and fared sumptuously, and saw her husband, an old knight, who greatly thanked him for his service, and urged him oftentimes to come again, on the morrow he departed, and reached Camelot by noon, where the king and queen rejoiced to see him, and the king made him earl and Merlin prophesied that these adventures were but little to the things he should achieve hereafter. Now while Sir Gawain and Sir Ator had fulfilled their quests, King Pelinor pursued the lady whom the knight had seized away from the wedding feast, and as he rode through the woods, he saw in a valley a fair young damsel sitting by a well side, and a wounded knight lying in her arms, 
and King Pelinor saluted her as he passed by. As soon as she perceived him she cried out, Help, help me, knight, for our lord's sake. But Pelinor was far too eager in his quest to stay or turn. Although she cried a hundred times to him for help, at which she prayed to heaven he might have such sore need before he died as she had now. And presently thereafter her knight died in her arms, and she, for grief and love slew herself with his sword. But King Pelinor rode on till he met a poor man and asked him had he seen a knight pass by that way leading by force a lady with him. Yea, surely, said the man, and greatly did she moan and cry, but even now another knight is fighting with him to deliver the lady, ride on and thou shalt find them fighting still. At that King Pelinor rode swiftly on, and came to where he saw the two knights fighting, hard by where two pavilions stood, and when he looked in one of them he saw the lady that was his quest and with her the two squires of the two knights who fought. Fair lady, said he, ye must come with me unto Arthur's court. Sir knight, said the two squires, yonder be two knights fighting for this lady, go part them, and get their consent to take her, ere thou touch her. Ye say well, said King Pelinor, and rode between the combatants, and asked them why they fought. Sir knight, said the one, yon lady is my cousin, mine aunt's daughter whom I met borne away against her will, by this knight here, with whom I therefore fight to free her, Sir Knight, replied the other, whose name was Hans Lake of Windland, this lady got I by my arms and prowess, at King Arthur's court today, that is false, said King Pelinor, he stole the lady suddenly, and fled away with her, before any knight could arm to stay thee, but it is my service to take her back again, neither of ye shall therefore have her, but if ye will fight for her, fight with me now and here. Well, said the knights, make ready, and we will assail thee with all our might. Then Sir Hanslake ran King Pelinor's horse through with his sword, so that they might be all alike on foot. But King Pelinor at that was passing wroth, and ran upon Sir Hanslake, with a cry, Keep well thy head, and gave him such a stroke upon the helm as clove him to the chin, so that he fell dead to the ground, when he saw that, the other knight refused to fight, and kneeling down said, Take my cousin the lady with thee, as thy quest is, but as thou art a true knight, suffer her to come to neither shame nor harm. So the next day King Pelinor departed for Camelot, and took the lady with him, and as they rode in a valley full of rough stones, the damsel's horse stumbled and threw her, so that her arms were sorely bruised and hurt, and as they rested in the forest for the pain to lessen, night came on and there they were compelled to make their lodging. A little before midnight they heard the trotting of a horse. Be ye still, said King Pelinor, for now we may hear of some adventure, and therewith he armed him. Then he heard two knights meet and salute each other, in the dark, one riding from Camelot, the other from the north. What tidings at Camelot, said one. By my head, said the other, I have but just left there, and have espied King Arthur's court and such a fellowship is there as never may be broke or overcome, for well nigh all the chivalry of the world is there, and all full loyal to the king, and now I ride back homewards to the north to tell our chiefs, that they waste not their strength in wars against him, as for all that, replied the other knight, I am but now from the north, and bear with me a remedy, the deadliest poison that ever was heard tell of, and to Camelot will I with it, for there we have a friend close to the king, and greatly cherished of him, who hath received gifts from us to poison him, as he hath promised soon to do. Beware, said the first knight, of Merlin, 
for he knoweth all things, by the devil's craft, I will not fear for that, replied the other, and so rode on his way, and on King Pelinor and the lady passed on again, and when they came to the well at which the lady with the wounded knight had Saturday they found both knight and damsel utterly devoured by lions and wild beasts, all save the lady's head, when King Pelinor saw that, he wept bitterly, saying, Alas, I might have saved her life had I but tarried a few moments in my quest, wherefore make so much sorrow now, said the lady, I know not, answered he, but my heart grieveth greatly for this poor lady's death, so fair she was and young, then he required a hermit to bury the remains of the bodies, and bear the lady's head with him to Camelot, to the court, when he was arrived, he was sworn to tell the truth of his quest before the king and queen, and when he had entered the queen somewhat upbraided him, saying, Ye were much to blame that ye saved not that lady's life. Madam, said he, I shall repent it all my life. I, king, quoth Merlin, who suddenly came in, and so ye ought to do, for that lady was your daughter, not seen since infancy by thee, and she was on her way to court, with a right good young knight, who would have been her husband, but was slain by treachery of a felon knight. Lorainly savage, as they came, and because thou wouldst not abide and help her, thy best friend shall fail thee in thine hour of greatest need, for such is the penance ordained thee for that deed. Then did King Pelinor tell Merlin secretly of the treason he had heard in the forest, and Merlin by his craft so ordered that the knight who bare the poison was himself soon after slain by it, and so King Arthur's life was saved. Chapter VII King Arthur and Sir Apollon of Gaul being now happily married. King Arthur for a season took his pleasure, with great tournaments, and jests, and huntings. So once upon a time the king and many of his knights rode hunting in a forest, and Arthur, King Urenz, and Sir Apollon of Gaul, followed after a great heart, and being all three well mounted, they chased so fast that they outsped their company, and left them many miles behind, but riding still as rapidly as they could go. At length their horses fell dead under them. Then being all three on foot, and seeing the stag not far before them, very weary and nigh spent, what shall we do? said King Arthur, for we are hard bested, let us go on afoot, said King Urenz, till we can find some lodging, at that they saw the stag lying upon the bank of a great lake, with a hound springing at his throat, and many other hounds trooping towards him, so, running forward, Arthur blew the death note on his horn, and slew the heart. Then lifting up his eyes he saw before him on the lake a barge, all draped down to the water's edge, with silken folds and curtains, which swiftly came towards him, and touched upon the sands, but when he went up close and looked in he saw no earthly creature, then he cried out to his companions, Sirs, come ye hither, and let us see what there is in this ship. So they all three went in and found it everywhere throughout furnished, and hung with rich draperies of silk and gold. By this time eventide had come, when suddenly a hundred torches were set up on all sides of the barge, and gave a dazzling light, and at the same time came forth twelve fair damsels, and saluted King Arthur by his name, kneeling on their knees, and telling him that he was welcome, and should have their noblest cheer, for which the king thanked them courteously. Then did they lead him and his fellows to a splendid chamber, where was a table spread with all the richest furniture and costliest wines and vines, and there they served them with all kinds of wines and meats, till Arthur wondered at the splendor of the feast, declaring he had never in his life supped better, or more royally, after supper they led him to another chamber, 
than which he had never beheld a richer, where he was left to rest, Kinyarence, also, and Sir Akolon were each conducted into rooms of like magnificence, and so they all three fell asleep, and being very weary slept deeply all that night, but when the morning broke, Kinyarence found himself in his own house in Camelot, he knew not how, and Arthur awaking found himself in a dark dungeon, and heard around him nothing but the groans of woeful knights, prisoners like himself, then said King Arthur, who are ye, thus groaning and complaining, and someone answered him, alas, we be all prisoners, even twenty good knights, and some of us have lain here seven years some more nor seen the light of day for all that time, for what cause, said King Arthur, know ye not then yourself, they answered, we will soon tell you, the lord of this strong castle is Sir Adamas, and is the falsest and most traitorous knight that lives, and he hath a younger brother, a good and noble knight, whose name is Outslake, this traitor Damas, although passing rich, will give his brother nothing of his wealth, and save what Outslake keepeth to himself by force, he hath no share of the inheritance, he owneth, nevertheless, one fair rich manner, whereupon he lives, loved of all men far and near, but Damas is as altogether hated as his brother is beloved, for he is merciless and cowardly, and now for many years there hath been war between these brothers, and Sir Outslake evermore defieth Damas to come forth and fight with him, body to body, for the inheritance, and if he be too cowardly, to find some champion knight that will fight for him, and Damas hath agreed to find some champion, but never yet hath found a knight to take his evil cause in hand, or wager battle for him, so with a strong band of men at arms he leeth ever in ambush, and taketh captive every passing knight who may unwarily go near, and bringeth him into this castle, and desireth him either to fight Sir Outslake, or to lie forevermore endurance, and thus hath he dealt with all of us, for we all scorn to take up such a cause for such a false foul knight but rather one by one came here, where many a good knight hath died of hunger and disease, but if one of us would fight, Sir Adamas would deliver all the rest, God of his mercy send you deliverance, said King Arthur, and sat turning in his mind how all these things should end, and how he might himself gain freedom for so many noble hearts, and on there came a damsel to the king, saying, Sir if thou wilt fight for my lord thou shalt be delivered out of prison, but else never more shalt thou escape with thy life, nay, said King Arthur, that is but a hard choice, yet had I rather fight than die in prison, and if I may deliver not myself alone, but all these others, I will do the battle, yea, said the damsel, it shall be even so, then, said King Arthur, I am ready now, if but I had a horse and armor, fear not, said she, that shalt thou have presently, and shalt lack nothing proper for the fight, have I not seen thee, said the king, at King Arthur's court, for it seemeth that thy face is known to me, nay, said the damsel, I was never there, I am Sir Adama's daughter, and have never been but a day's journey from this castle, but she spoke falsely, for she was one of the damsels of Morgan Fay, the great enchantress, who was King Arthur's half-sister, when Sir Adama's knew that there had been at length a knight found who would fight for him, he sent for Arthur, and finding him a man so tall and strong, and straight of limb, he was passingly well pleased, and made a covenant with him that he should fight unto the uttermost for his cause, and that all the other knights should be delivered, and when they were sworn to each other on the holy gospels, all those imprisoned knights were straightway led forth and delivered, 
but abode there one and all to see the battle. In the meanwhile there had happened to Sir Apollon of Gaul a strange adventure, for when he awoke from his deep sleep upon the silken barge, he found himself upon the edge of a deep well, and in instant peril of falling thereinto, whereat, leaping up in great affright, he crossed himself and cried aloud, May God preserve my lord King Arthur and King Urence, for those damsels in the ship have betrayed us, and were doubtless devils and no women, and if I may escape this misadventure, I will certainly destroy them wheresoever I may find them. With that there came to him a dwarf with a great mouth, and a flat nose, and saluted him, saying that he came from Queen Morgan Fay, and she greet at you well, said he, and biddeth you be strong of heart, for tomorrow you shall do battle with a strange knight, and therefore she hath sent you here Excalibur, King Arthur's sword, and the scabbard likewise, and she desireth you as you do love her to fight this battle to the uttermost and without any mercy, as you have promised her you would fight when she should require it of you, and she will make a rich queen forever of any damsel that shall bring her that knight's head with whom you are to fight. Well, said Sir Apollon, tell you my lady Queen Morgan, that I shall hold to that I promised her. Now that I have this sword and, said he, I suppose it was to bring about this battle that she made all these enchantments by her craft. You have guessed rightly, said the dwarf and therewithal he left him. Then came a knight and lady, and six squires, to Sir Apollon, and took him to a manor house hard by, and gave him noble cheer, and the house belonged to Sir Outslake, the brother of Sir Adamas, for so had Morgan Fay contrived with her enchantments. Now Sir Outslake himself was at that time sorely wounded and disabled, having been pierced through both his thighs by a spear thrust. When, therefore, Sir Adamas sent down messengers to his brother, bidding him make ready by tomorrow morning, and be in the field to fight with a good knight, for that he had found a champion ready to do battle at all points. Sir Outslake was sorely annoyed and distressed, for he knew he had small chance of victory, while yet he was disabled by his wounds, notwithstanding, he determined to take the battle in hand, although he was so weak that he must needs be lifted to his saddle. But when Sir Apollon of Gaul heard this, he sent a message to Sir Outslake offering to take the battle in his stead, which cheered Sir Outslake mightily, who thanked Sir Apollon with all his heart, and joyfully accepted him. So, on the morrow, King Arthur was armed and well horsed, and asked Sir Adamas, When shall we go to the field? Sir, said Sir Adamas, you shall first hear mass. And when mass was done, there came a squire on a great horse, and asked Sir Adamas if his knight were ready for our knight is already in the field. Then King Arthur mounted on horseback, and there around were all the knights, and barons, and people of the country, and twelve of them were chosen to wait upon the two knights who were about to fight. And as King Arthur sat on horseback, there came a damsel from Morgan Fay, and brought to him a sword, made like Excalibur, and a scabbard also, and said to him, Morgan Fay sendeth you here your sword for her great love's sake. And the king thanked her, and believed it to be as she said, but she traitorously deceived him, for both sword and scabbard were counterfeit, brittle, and false, and the true sword Excalibur was in the hands of Sir Apollon. Then, at the sound of a trumpet, the champions set themselves on opposite sides of the field, and giving rein and spur to their horses urged them to so great a speed that each smiting the other in the middle of the shield, rolled his op.